Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. Today we have with us B. Dave Walters. That is the dozens and dozens of my fans cheering there. Uh, yes, hi, it is I, B. Dave Walters. Uh, you might know me from such hits as uh, Vampire the Masquerade, L.A. by Night, uh, The Black Dice Society, Invitation to Party on G4 TV, uh, DMing for the cast of Stranger Things. Uh, basically, if there is a camera and it involves streaming, I've done it. And then I write a whole bunch of stuff on the back end. Um, I used to DM um 35 to 40 games a month uh so i think i may be one of the few people that knows exactly what friday goes through and i'm happy to be here yeah thanks for joining us uh i did want to start off with talking about your patreon uh mm -hmm. that you ran and you, you mm -hmm. ran so many games uh prior to there being uh a star playing games that mm -hmm. was sort of organizing it for people can you mm -hmm. talk us through that and how that began and uh you know from its humble beginnings i suppose yeah this would have been um around 2019 um i just i felt like there would be a market for it um they, like there was no existing infrastructure i mean I, I was by no means the first human to ever think of charging to to you know for a seat at the table um but you're right it was before let's play games is before demi plane and all of that um and i'd built up a decent following especially because of vampire i mean i'd done D, &D stuff but um Vampire was where I was getting um, the largest response, and I just uh, put up a put up a Patreon. Um, we had a Discord community, but the actual games would be via Zoom. And um, at first, when it started, I was scheduling the games around the people, um, which was easier for them but harder for me but when i only had like um you know six or 12 or 20 people that wasn't so bad but then it very quickly became unwieldy when we got to hundreds of people so i just started setting the times of when i was running games and every month i'd put up the checklist at the beginning of the month of here's the times and one of the things that a higher a higher support tier got was first dibs at that list of picking the games that was one of the things and so people filled in when they'd be there i said when i'd be there and um i would just show up and then if there was a time where for instance there was an empty seat left over or something of that i'd go to the discord and i'd be like hey need one more person right now first come first serve and um it it, it worked pretty well it was a lot of fun how would you say that you divided up your type of offerings for that Patreon? Were you running just all one shots? Were you running chronicles that were spanning over a long period of time and you had the same players coming back for certain games? How did that work for you? It was a little bit of both. Um, I, I constructed it in my mind as a chronicle. Um, I had uh, an ongoing vampire chronicle and an ongoing D&D &D campaign. Um, but the way I did it and the way I conceptualized it in my head was the game was about the city. The game was about Los Angeles. So that was why there could be a contiguous story that was always moving forward, even though people were coming in and out of it. Um, even in the D&D &D game, I apologize, I'm slightly congested here. It's that time of year. Um, even in the D&D &D game, um, it was something similar. They were on a spell jammer and they were all serving aboard the vessel and different people got called up for different missions. So I, I would I would have roughly an idea of what was going to happen that day, but I'd show up and see who I had mm -hmm. and then uh, uh, adjust from there. Wow. Yeah, that, mm -hmm. that takes a great deal of flexibility to be able to handle that. It's not different than uh, too much different than what 
SPG GMs have to deal with nowadays because signups happen until like an hour prior to the game. So some GMs are still like scrambling to get people ready to like input them into the game. And a lot of time you just include those easy story hooks in order to put people in there. Like, oh, you, your patron or the Monster Hunter patron or whatever brings you in and drops you off or whatever. But it's it's very easy when it's mission based. The earlier games, the Vampire, it was the same thing. It was is they were they were young anarchs, and Baron Victor Temple was sending them to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when I when I put brought in a Camarilla game, it was the same thing though. Like uh, you know the um not usually the prince, not initially, but it was the Cinna show or one of the primogen were sending you to do stuff. I mean, it's kind of a a, a, a plot hook with a universal adapter. Um, but once we had more lore built up that they were all aware of it was easier to even innovate and do like unusual things um you know they, they were still able to kind of uh shock and amaze them especially as i moved more into the there is a story that is happening you know like there's a wave that's moving and sometimes you all are surfing on it and i started doing that intentionally because the discord community was such a big part of it i wanted them to have to go and compare notes I wanted them to have to be like, well, we went to the butcher shop and and found a foot. And it's like, well, that's weird because we were at the cemetery and we saw a man limping away. You know what I mean? And then then have them be like, ooh, what? Because that was a way sort of for the story to almost be going on 24-7, which was what my real intent. Yeah, that's really great uh, attitude or I suppose angle for utilizing meta gameplay um, because that's (laughs) going to be a part of it no matter what, especially if you're playing with uh, people that aren't at the table all the time, but you can still involve them. So that's that's pretty good. I I like that uh, as aspect of uh, your community there how long did you run it for uh, about 18 months all told um from early 2019 to fairly deep into 2020 um because the reason why i stopped was during the pandemic streaming took off a lot because everybody was home yeah. and uh, i just didn't have the time to uh keep it spinning like i had previously mid to late 2020 how long were you spending on prep for each of these games would you say estimate way more at the beginning um than i was later on for certain it, because it becomes like riding a bike and, and to tell you the truth uh part of the reason i think um I look at it as having gone to the greatest DM school ever because, again, you know, that that mastery is 10,000 hours type thing uh, is just spending time in the chair just just made it easier where I became more flexible. What what I found I would end up doing more of was less prep per session and more of I completely improvised the fact that, you know, the 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 Toreador primogen is having an affair. And so we get to the end of the game and I'd be like, well, if that's true, what does that mean? You know, and then I'd be like, "Eh, this, 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 this and this. And I'm like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, I'd almost have to stop to think of the new state of play after the session, if that makes sense. Uh, Not before the next one, because then when I was like, well, if that's what this means, that's cool. Okay, right. And then I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. I I will tell you the strangest thing that would happen to me is quite frequently I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking I was in a session, thinking that I just (laughs) dozed off and I'd be like, okay, what are you all doing? Uh, But, you know, and and really have to be like, oh, oh, okay, All right. It's nighttime. Okay, that that (laughs) that happened two or three nights a week. That would happen. (laughs) So it was very much occupying a high amount of my cognitive load, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I found I just took my first like three or four days off of the year over Christmas. 
was. Mm -hmm. And part of that was like, I have to take time off. And then part Mm -hmm. of that was like, I'm not going to make money anyway, because I'm not going to be able to run games on Christmas. So, and just taking that time off genuinely, this writing block that I had for two months prior to that, it just vanished. Just taking off three, three and a half days. Yeah, it's um, people underestimate how hard just thinking is. And the first time I encountered this was way back when I was in the insurance business and times long past. And um, I'd go out and I'd enroll every day. You know, when, when, when you have a job and the person comes in and they explain your health insurance and all that, you know, like, like I, I was that person. And uh, I would come home and I'd just be wiped out. And I'm like, all I did was talk today. Like, what what is this? And uh, I tell people, and when I did D&D in the castle the first time, which was two sessions a day for three days in a row, I was so wiped out afterwards. And then I, I went and I lived this life for a while and i joke that i went from a 10k runner to an ultra marathoner and i heard a statistic recently that uh, chess champions during you know major 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 games um burn six thousand calories just playing chess like yeah. it, it 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 really is taxing um and you you have to take a break from it otherwise i don't mean to be overly cliche and say it'll stop being fun because the reality is it when the moment it becomes work there's times that you might not choose to do it but now you got to do it uh, and you can still find your enjoyment in it you, you must take some time to charge your batteries and um that becomes increasingly difficult in 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 this world especially when you uh you are running games and writing games and maybe even hopefully playing games and streaming games and then writing content maybe writing game content or something else but it is the most important thing i always point out to people i'm like look god himself took a day off (laughs) i don't know how else to put it you know so yeah Yeah. And that's really keying into like what I ended up telling a lot of people was people get really excited whenever they see advice on how to get going with start playing games and like replacing their income or like going from part time to full time. But then uh, I caution them, you really need to not scale up too quickly because you're going to burn out really quickly doing that with new campaigns. That is where a majority of your prep is going to come in the front end. You know, you front end your prep for a lot of that onboarding all those people at the same time. Um, And it can really quickly lead you aground. And even if you still show up physically, you may Mm -hmm. not mentally be there for all of your new players and all of your new campaigns if you scale up too quickly. Well, another thing that is going to come up that is inevitable if you have a community component to it. And what I mean is a community component is if you have just a group of people that everybody agree logs in at the agreed upon time and then they disperse back into the world on their own, this will take longer than if you have a Discord and a place where they talk to each other, uh, you will have community issues. They, they will start having disagreements with each other. I warned my mods in advance of what was going to happen. I told them. I like bulleted. I'm like, these are the things that will happen here. Because I saw it in every guild I ever played and every MMO, you know, every club. Um, and that also starts to take an increasing amount of time to manage and take an increasing amount of the fun out of it. And once that part of it comes also, if you're not kind of like fully prepared in like, uh, uh, armored up and ready, um, it can be pretty devastating when it arrives. Resolving interpersonal conflicts and making sure that you adjust your community rules to not only reflect your values, but also provide a place for people to enjoy engaging with the community can be pretty difficult because we have so many different people from different backgrounds coming in, different perspectives, and like not everybody's the best communicator and or the nicest person. Well, and what ends up happening, especially pending the type of game you're running, um, it, 
what I mean is uh, vampires magnificent for this, but D and D can too. But obviously, if you're if you're running uh, Ravenloft versus we're goblin gladiators, you know, are are, are you're, you're going to touch some different psychological. But but what ends up happening is actually putting on this mask allows you to tell the truth. And the more comfortable people start to get with themselves, the more real things start to come out, hopefully be processed. And nine times out of 10, this is a beautiful process in, in, in the real strength of these games that I think a lot of people overlook. I think that is the most beautiful part. I had people come out of the closet. I had people people resolve years-long trauma. I had people um, just realize who they wanted to be, get over shyness, things like that. And I don't mean this in a therapeutic sense, like we were seeking that. I mean, organically, it's just what happened. But right along with that, sometimes once you start to have some pull in a community and and you're important in a community, and then new people come in and start to threaten that, uh, it, it's easy to kind of start to become like Gollum, like, no, it's mine. And you have to really manage that, um, the integration of new people, of making sure new people have something they can do and be relevant, because if all the old people have been here, and they're all not only know so much, they might actually be stronger and then have to parse all of that stuff out. And all of these things have solutions. Don't get me wrong. But but it is a level of difficulty and complication that uh, just reading the DMG doesn't prepare you. Definitely. I think um, for your situation, you chose probably the most difficult thing to do, which was a whole community shared world. I know some GMs do that, and it is a whole nother level of uh, additional work. Uh, Most people, I think, can avoid a lot of those issues by simply compartmentalizing their tables and not having them be all one shared world. But if that's your brand and you want to work towards that, then it's, you know, it's pretty steady, like work. I think it's... um... Obviously, a lot of it is, is is just you know, quite frankly, what do you want to do? Um, because when you keep it compartmentalized, like uh, again, when I just did D and D in the castle this last time, I ran the same adventure three times. Of course, it worked out completely differently because people make different choices, right? You know, like so, it, it's more accurate to say I had the same inciting incident three times, and then oh, yeah. you know, it, it, it went where it went. If you're doing a shared thing. It is harder to do that because the the events have taken place relative to the world. I'm doing air quotes. I know you can't hear me. See me. Sorry. Um, to me, the reason why I made that choice is I, I, I preach this all the time. Your first and most important goal as a storyteller is to elicit an emotional reaction, to make that human being feel something. But for me, the sense of community and belonging to something is the second most important thing. Now, you can very much have that with a table of four to six people who've gone to Mordor and back. You absolutely can uh, and, and, and we will share a bond. But I wanted again, to continue this metaphor, the people to feel like they were citizens of Middle-earth. But uh, along with that, you know, sometimes there's beef between the elves and the dwarves. <laughs> That's a good metaphor, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I think there's, um, I think the the storyteller, who they are, If if the idea of putting everything in boxes just made you go like, ugh, well, then that's not your thing. 
if the idea of knowing everybody could talk and this whole thing is kind of organically growing and you're just sort of kind of pruning the leaves, if that fills you with anxiety, do not do that thing. <laughs> that is okay. It's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of the things that uh, we end up talking about a lot is like brand development because a lot of people show up and they're just like, I'll make the game whatever the players want it. And that's nope. a terrible, terrible world building. And then also <laughs> bad business plan, bad yep. advertisement. Nobody knows what you're running. Like a, a statement that I always come back to is that Henry Ford was not a nice person, but he is one of my all time favorite quotes. If I'd asked them what they wanted, they'd have said a faster horse. Yeah. You know, like like there, there's 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 no shortage of games to play mm-hmm. that the, in 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 let's call a spade a spade. You're not just competing with the world. You're competing with people like me. So mm-hmm. although I guess I'm not technically doing paid games at this exact second, but practically you are. So your only defense is to do what is authentically you because only you can tell your story. Hopefully that is going to resonate with an audience. Now, if you find that doesn't resonate with an audience, then you have to change your story. Like I, I knew a group of people a couple years back that wanted to do a black and white avant-garde D&D stream. I don't think anybody wants that. And they didn't believe me and they launched it. And of course it cratered because nobody wanted that. You know, if if yeah. if, if your story is, I don't know, we, we, we just work in a bakery and we are all um, sad Warforged that have lost our voice box. Boxes. You might find six people that want that. Maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe, um, but you're not going to find 600. E- e- do what speaks to you. Do the thing that has popped into your mind. Because if to Friday's point, if you're like, I'll do whatever you want. It's like, well, you've already lost. Because in, in not only do they have so many other selections, they may not even know what it is that they want. Because the default, if you're like, I'll do whatever you want, they're like, be Matt Mercer. And I'm like, well, guess what? You can't. So, you know, um, tell your authentic thing, the thing that you can breathe life into. And the lamentation that I always give is nobody cares about your 15,000 years of history and backstory. Less is more. You need to know a little bit about your world, but you just need to know more about them about your world. Uh, if you get into here, let me tell you about the war of the gods and how the islands were formed from their blood. I'm like, they do not care. They do not care unless you find ways to sprinkle that in along the way. I was doing a talk like this and a guy was talking about he was researching tidal tables to figure out what the tides would be for a planet with three moons. And I'm like, guess what, brother? Nobody cares. I'm like, if that is just your thing, if you're an oceanographic enthusiast and you find that exciting, okay, great. If you're going to make a huge plot point out of the fact that the entrance to the dungeon is only available, you know, (laughs) between these two hours and when all of the moons are in alignment uh maybe but beyond that nobody is going to sit at your table play your game and get up and say you know those were some very accurate title tables for a planet with three moons that just all right bravo you know that's that's not not at all gonna do it and it's easy to get lost in the minutiae especially for beginners that they're like you know let me tell you who beget who who beget who who beget who you need to know that contextually and you can sprinkle it in the narrative if you like sprinkling it in the narrative fine but uh front loading a lot of dense heavy backstory hitting people with a lot of names they won't remember 
all of that stuff is actually um, contrary to the to the process of what what you're trying to get across. And I will say this last thing and stop this monologue, at least for now. Uh, for a thousand generations, the Jedi were the peacekeepers of the old Republic. That's the world's greatest inciting incident. That one sentence has launched hundreds of hours of content, thousands of pages of written work, you know, from that one thing uh jedi were peacekeepers that's cool there used to be peacekeepers what do you mean jedi were the peacekeepers they're not anymore old republic there's an old republic was there a new republic we've only heard of the empire you know you start unpacking it and it goes all these different places so yeah less is more okay i'm done for now <laughs> speaking of less is more let's talk about your experiences and your background in being a horror storyteller uh, i am interested in how you might contextualize or give advice to a DD horror especially because uh, the, the common i suppose criticism of running a horror game in DD is that the system doesn't necessarily support that um if you haven't seen my show the black dice society we did two we did 60 episodes it's all up on the wizards youtube and if you want to know how i tell a horror story that there go see it um it is a challenge in the sense that um, horror is about tension. There's many different kinds of horrors, gothic horror, Victorian horror, psychological horror, you know, hack and slash. But in general, when you're on a roller coaster, the slow tick, 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 tick. They do that on purpose. Like you, they, the, the roller coaster doesn't have to work that way. That whole time you're like, oh, we're about to drop. We're about to drop. We're about to drop. That's actually horror. Is <laughs> that that release and then the adrenaline comes and that's the part you like. But that is a, by definition a horrifying experience. The thing about D&D though is the game itself doesn't have a comedic leaning, but its expression is usually uh, comedic in the way it comes across because I think a lot of it is innately ridiculous. It's, it's kind of hard to take a lot of these things seriously for hours at a time. But comedy is about relieving tension. Horror and comedy serve exactly contrary purposes. And so when we were doing the Black Dice Society, I, I was very clear with all of them that I'm like, this is not going to be that that's what she said game you know this is this is not the yucka 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 game because if i'm trying to set something up and that's when you fit in a wisecrack that actually diffuses the tension over the course of the narrative however you have to wave this up and down because human beings can't maintain a heightened emotional state for more than a maximum of about 20 minutes you can argue as high as 35 minutes. The most emotional humans can't go more than 35 minutes in a heightened emotional state. And what I mean by that is you can't cry nonstop for an hour. You can't laugh nonstop for an hour. You can't rage nonstop for an hour. Your central nervous system literally won't let you. You'll just level out again. Um, so when you're telling the story, you can weave this up and down. And when you start paying attention to narratives, you will see this. Even in comedies, something really sad happens right around the middle. Because then it swings the other way and it's, ah, ha, 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 you know, and we're so funny. Horror movies, it seems like everything's actually kind of all right. We might make it after all. And then, bing, 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 bing. You're like, oh, no, Chainsaw Man is still alive. With D&D, one of the things I had to do is combat is a big part of the game in horror being outmatched by the enemy is a big part of it. You may ultimately overcome, but not initially. So I had to give them times that they could fight and they could win 
but I had to make those times a lot more sparse than uh, they would have been normally. Um, You also go a very long way with your descriptions of things. Uh, And this is the part uh, where I have to plug my program, 14 Day DM, where I talk about these kinds of things um, at length. You can find it in a pinned comment at the top of my Twitter at BDaveWalters, or you can go to the UndisputedAcademy.com if you'd like to know more. But you you, you describe things like um, sounds, that they hear claws on the wall, you know, that uh, something moves in the shadows. It's like in the original Aliens movie. I think the Xenon morph is only on screen for some tiny bit of time like eight minutes because when you don't see the thing your brain will automatically fill in the worst possible thing uh you the, you will assume the scariest bit now when people talk about the D combat doesn't work that way it can when you have like something truly terrible like a sibriax you know even if it's a zombie describe the fact that hunks of flesh are falling off of it when it's coming forward when they attack it the sword goes through it and the stench of rotting flesh fills the room and it just looks at you with unblinking eyes and says <sighs> you know like there's ways you can do it um it does not do a horror game as well as say call of cthulhu but that's what call of cthulhu is built for call of cthulhu is not going to do a gladiatorial contest as well as D does um so yeah at least my initial monologue <laughs> just looked up sibriax for the first time that's horrible oh my juicy <laughs> boy hold on a second oh no I love him. I love him so much. That's my that's 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 my juicy but you can't see the oh. camera. I'm showing Friday my Cibri X mini. Oh, that's oh look disgusting. at the juice. Look at the that's juice. So oh, they're the worst. <laughs> and I love them so much. Um there was uh, oh they're terrible enemies, by the way. If you ever do something at that CR, they're they're terrible. I did a uh somebody once asked me, it was a Jess Pinlay. I had started this on Twitter saying what was the most delicious creature to eat in D&D and her argument was it must be the unicorn because it's expressly forbidden for you to eat a unicorn so it must be really great if it must be banned and I said I think the Cibriax is the yummiest because everything about this thing screams do not put this in your mouth and that means maybe you should put it in your mouth <laughs> I will say one one other thing, which works just as a, as a storytelling device in general, but particularly good in horror, too, is um, imperiling other. You know, like the, for the most part, heroes are fearless and they're not afraid to die, but they're afraid to let someone else die because of them. You know, le- lean, lean into that. But if you do this giant flashing light, they really do need a chance to save the other people. Like they, they really do. Like, I mean, you can have your scene where Sephiroth kills Eris, spoiler alert, if the narrative just absolutely requires that you hate Sephiroth that much, but be very, 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 very sparing in that type of thing. Nine times out of ten, if you're going to see Sephiroth be about to kill Aerith, there should be a way for them to save her. But that's the kind of thing that uh, will will build an emotional response 
very quickly. The very first stream I ever did, the Theogony of Kairos, was about level zero characters who got were chosen by the gods to become avatars, and they would get level 20 powers. And I knew if I started in episode one and I just gave them powers, and I said like, oh, that's the kid who's always bullied you. They're like, cool, 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 disintegrate. Versus if uh, I spent some time in the village and put a face on these people and who they were, then when I imperiled the village, which I did, of course, it would mean something. It's not just the baker's daughter is trapped in a burning building. It's your best friend, Anzra, is trapped in a burning building. Now that means something. And that works doubly well with horror. That it's like, here's this person I've come to really care about. The Sibriex has her and is about to give her a second mouth on the on her kneecaps. <laughs> Maybe I should do something. Also, I would just like to say one last thing. Right now, Friday, who is always beautiful, uh, is wearing a sweatshirt that says, life is good, keep it simple. That is what you must remember, Good Friday, is to go for, take a pic, hang that hoodie somewhere where you can see it every day. I, yeah, I, um... Well, you know how it is being a freelancer. So Mm -hmm. I honestly, I've been thinking about this and like whenever I end up finding a role that is like full time, I'll probably go to part time pro GMing Mm -hmm. um, just so that I can like function and also have healthcare. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so I've been thinking about that for 2023. I don't think that I will end up staying full time because of how draining it is to run 12 to 14 games a week. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I'll end up doing that. I've been really falling in love with um, the process of development and designing um, with a group of people. The Vineyard is now like a very large team, um, initially unintentionally, but simply because I sent out emails to everyone that I wanted to work with. And like, they all said yes. So that I had like, I started with a pretty big team. Um, And then we kind of identified some things that we were missing down the road and then added them to the team. You and Into the Motherlands, lead developer, let's talk about that if you don't mind Mm -hmm. i'm curious about your process with um team building and like what's your schedule like for just being the lead developer of into the motherlands like i it's probably like only a little bit here and there but like when you're involved with the project what what is it that you're doing we had i'm I'm trying to be careful make sure i don't say too much we would have um a monthly get together where we all talked about where we were and I would kind of quarterback, well, we need this to happen and this to happen. Uh, Tanya DePass is the creative director and, um, we kind of split that up between the two of us of these things are what needs to happen. Most of my thing has been mechanical, but I've been heavily involved in the narrative side of it too, because the narrative have to inform those mechanics, you know, like um, if we're doing psionics, then there need to be some psionic people type thing, you know? Um, well, what I knew and what has come to pass was at the beginning of the production, same thing. We had a pretty big team, pretty much got who we wanted. Um, we were very fortunate with the Kickstarter that we had the budget and, um, when you have the money, you can get anybody, which is weird. I'm not used to that. I'm used to bootstrapping everything. But when being like, what's your rate? And they're like, it's this. And you're like, well, we got that. So, yeah, get that guy. You know, um, uh, we, we were slightly constrained by the fact that we wanted to work with all POC on the development team. But, of course, we've gotten some some wonderful people there. But what I knew in advance is we 
what, what I told everybody from the very beginning was we're making this thing from scratch. We'd already laid out the bones of some things because we'd done two seasons of the stream by then. Most of that stuff were things that I just made up on the spot. But I'd ask people, I said, create the thing that you needed when you were eight years old. Tell me that story. That's what I want. And so people were really coming back with these really great things. And I mean, not only did we have a whole planet, we had multiple worlds. So it was easy to hook some things in, but some things that were just dope, but really truly didn't fit we were like great you're over there on that planet <laughs> you know what i mean this is how it goes down over there so as we assigned all this stuff out to people what i knew was i was going to be the bottom of the funnel uh it was up to me to smooth it all out anything that was missing anything we found out we needed anything people didn't deliver on was going to fall to me and we're at that point in the development now so it is a lot more hands-on for me now um unfortunately it got the most hands-on for me when uh, just a lot of tough stuff happened for me. I lost my father right at the very end of October and just sort of life turned gray after that. So that that has been a struggle um, that I'm continuing to struggle with, uh, although starting to make some progress on now. But it's almost like to answer your question, it was like uh, uh, it, it, it is a, a, a seesaw that has teetered over time to now like all almost all of it is with me now and will be with me until I'm like, here's all the words and then give it back for formatting and layout. Um, but it's been it's been a long process, but we haven't had much stress because one of the things that I've said from the beginning, I read this in an issue of Nintendo Power when I was a kid, which dates me to a very narrow window in time, when they were talking about the development of The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which limits me to an even narrower window in time. And that game was catastrophically late. And they had a mural painted on the wall of Nintendo headquarters that a late game is only late until it comes out and a bad game is bad forever. Uh, it's like it is more important that we make the best thing that we can because once it exists, no one's ever going to remember how long it took in development. They're just going to be like, it's here. And if we put out something that is subpar, because let's be honest, we're all POC, so we're going to get a very critical gaze anyway. And heaven forbid it actually be bad, you know, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, terrible for everybody. So uh, we, we've we been slow boating. We went back and forth with the publisher. We had a publisher, lost a publisher, and now we're in talks with different publishers. So it's been a juggle. I inadvertently uh, ended up kind of in this role as the co-creator. I remember... Um, Back in early 2022, and I was working for Jasmine at the time, and I was like, you know, Jasmine, it's really hard to, like, get gigs as a writer because, like, there's, like, five people with all the poker hands in the industry. And I was like, mm -hmm. how do you how do you get gigs? And she was like, well, you're good at project management. Why don't you just run your project? And I was like, okay. And that's how, like, the vineyard started for me. So, uh, but seeing a lot of the, the work come back when I, like, assign things to different people and my great joy has been, like, for me to develop an idea just a little bit because it was for my campaign initially and that's how a lot of these ideas came to fruition to give it over to someone and just allow them to develop something either based on their perspective in a different culture like you were saying and mm -hmm. like come back to me with something that's fully fleshed out and just so alive it's been uh i remember especially with the initial round of first drafts but a lot of these drafts that i get back i'm just blown away by and i'm very happy about and that role being like the developer to just sort of guide people along that path as a creator.
creator. It's so fucking cool. And I, for sure, that's me running the vineyard and doing this part of it has really solidified the fact that I'm going to go into that work Mm -hmm. uh, when I can. Not like if, but when I can and uh, go from there. But working collaboratively with people on like developing creative stuff is super cool. And I've been thankful to have had the opportunities that I've had thus far to develop those things. When do you think? I was going to say, it's definitely a renaissance for such things. That's all I was going to say. What are you allowed to talk about in Into the Motherlands that you're exceptionally like proud of looking at it right now? Oh, that we've made it this far, that, that it, that it exists, you know, um, that, that, uh, we got the support that we got from the Kickstarter, which, which was important, um, that there is an appetite, uh, in, in Afrocentric point of view in storytelling in sci-fi. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a fool. I do know a lot of people sort of put their money on the barrel head as just a support from the project and aren't necessarily that excited about the thing. Uh, but I don't take that personally because we needed them to spend their money. But what I'm, what I'm hoping is when they get it and they open it and they actually look at it, they're like, oh, this is actually really cool. And I'm like, yeah, it really is. And enjoy it, you know, um, is, is, is what I'm looking forward to. Seeing, as I said, that I asked these people to create, you know, what they needed when they were eight years old and seeing what that looked like. Um, because that, that is always com- the two notes I've ever, I ever really give. You know, the, the, the inciting incident of this, the crux of this, is it's a world without colonialization. You know, what, what, what would have happened if that particular cruelty hadn't spread across the planet? Um, in this instance, it's because we had to take a lot of people and put them on another planet and they just sort of developed separately. Two, it's self-determination. You know, you you the the game doesn't have an attribute system um because it is it is about your skills and your values you are who you choose to become in this world and so whenever we didn't really know about which way to go with something we'd always come back to that it's like well what's a more self-determinant thing you know what i mean like what 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 is what is more strength to the individual if it works this way or works that way and always being able to come back to that has been a great thing so it's kind of like the design ethos has held through the whole thing and hopefully is going to resonate with the players when the when the bugs finally in their hands right now are you in um you're not in play testing right you're still developing oh yeah oh you yeah no, okay. we, we, we we play tested multiple rounds in fact yeah and then okay. and then and then the stream uh season three which is on now i mean not now now because i guess it's the holidays um they're in the midst of season three has been the ultimate play test of beating on it and seeing where something breaks got it okay super cool mm-hmm. Let's talk about Undisputed Academy and what caused you to pivot towards that. It's, you know, something I found about myself is when I love a thing, I love doing that thing. I love talking about that thing. And I love teaching that thing. Whatever it is, is this martial arts, writing, whatever. That's just who I am as a person. And I realized a lot of people want to be able to do some of the things that thankfully I've been blessed to do. And I wanted to take the time to encapsulate the actual practical tools that a person needs to play the game at a high level or run the game at a high level from someone who has done it and quite frankly as high level as it gets. You know, the, I've been on the biggest stages with this as a player and as a storyteller for multiple systems. To my knowledge, at least arguably, no one else is done. And so I wanted to be able to write down, I say write down their videos, um, 
to to capture forever. They're like, these are the things you need to work on. These are the things that you need to be mindful of um, to try and remove at least some of the trial and error. And I wanted to do it in such a way that even people that have no ambition to be on camera, but just want to be able to give the absolute best experience to the people that are sharing the table with them uh, would still find value. Yeah, I've gone through uh, the GM and the player, and I just saw that you just dropped a writing one. So I guess I'll have to get that as well. But (laughs) um, (laughs) I found like, and I, this is the thing that uh, I end up coming back to a lot of the time is people, you can find advice anywhere, but I think it's important for people, especially when you're just starting at your business or you're just starting at your profession, perhaps just focus in on and try to identify who you most associate with and can find wisdom uh, by following their example or it, someone who, who says things that resonate with you. And then you follow those two to five people. And then that that would be it as far as your professional development, because you can definitely start going in every direction and like not get anywhere. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's uh, I, you're completely right. It's um to, to use a different example in, in, in the martial arts, uh, which I don't know if you all know, Friday has a martial arts background and it's incredibly lethal. Don't mess with her. Um, But um, I was just listening to somebody last night that was talking about what's the best martial art. And the answer the person gave was like, well, for who? You know, like if you're a big, tall guy with a long reach, that is very different than if you're a five foot woman. I'm gonna give you a very different answer. Well, what what can you do? Um, And it's the same thing to, to Friday's point there. If you are a calm, reserved, following the path and example of a very boisterous, gregarious, outgoing person may not be the thing because what they're telling you to do won't resonate with you. I think that the number one thing to look for is opportunities to um, just advance your path, essentially, just things to be mindful of that you might not have thought of. Like in the in the writing program I did, uh, 14 Day Writer, I all I said was, I'm going to I'm going to shave five years off your process of becoming a professional writer. It is not something that I'll start you from the beginning. If you've never done it, this is assuming you have some skill. Here's some things to be mindful of that will help you because I've published uh, comic books and graphic novels and screenplays for film and television, gotten them all produced, which is all unusual. It's hard to do any one of those things. I've done them all. I've self-published novels. Here's how. This is this is the way to do it. This is how to tell stories of different genres in a way that is effective. And what separates a horror story from an action story, or if you're going to make an action horror story, things of that nature. But Friday is absolutely correct. And I will just add one other thing to that. It is possible to learn what not to do from people. It is possible to be like, hmm, I don't like that thing you just said, and I'm, I'm going to do not that. And it is okay if your brand ends up being, you know, if everybody's doing comedy right now, and there's a lot of it, uh, expressly choose to do not comedy, for instance. That's all very valid. Thank you so much for stopping by, B-Dave. And uh, I guess we'll see you again at some point, right? Pleasure's all mine. Uh, whenever the beacons are lit, I will answer. All right, y'all have a good one. Thanks so much for listening to the Dollars and Dragons podcast. If you'd like to support me and more importantly, my editor who does all of the heavy lifting here, then you can subscribe to patreon.com slash it's Friday. And that is going to go straight to my editor. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.